Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. Each week on ReSound, we bring you radio from around the world, work we've scouted from places near and far. The internet, youth radio, Australia, you name it, we've listened to it. Our ears are everywhere, so you don't have to be makes us sound a little like a mutual fund, but hey, that's kind of what we are. All you have to do is invest a little time. We do all the work, and then you just add it to your Sonic Bank account. Shall we play a game? Excellent. No one can be forced to play. It is an invariable principle of all games that whoever plays, plays freely. In 2005, the Third Coast Festival commissioned four short documentaries based on the theme, Games. Today on ReSound, we explore theater games, the game of Go, the game of life, and the game of death. And while we're on the subject of games, there's also Pumpkin Chunkin'. That's shooting a pumpkin out of a cannon. Plus, the art and frustration of losing gracefully. You are in for a real treat. And I say this with all objectivity, not just because one of today's selections was produced by me. Our first story, Tongues Twisting, is produced by Judith Sloan, an actress, audio artist, oral historian, and educator in New York. Now, in the case of this doc, words, at least English words, don't really seem to do it justice. This is truly a story that you just have to listen to. I direct a theater project in Queens, New York, for kids and teenagers who come from more than 50 different countries. Most of the kids are new English speakers. We develop scripts from playing theater games and from storytelling workshops. It's not always easy to get them to focus. Two months before we were supposed to do a performance, I showed up for a rehearsal expecting them to have their lines memorized. Half of them were running around playing games. The other half were laying on the floor. I begged them to focus. They whined and complained. Theater was supposed to be fun, and I was ruining it. I was making them work too hard. So I laid down on the floor with them. 
They told me they were exhausted from speaking English. I didn't know what to do, so I asked them to show me all the verbal tricks they knew in their own languages. Songs, poems, games, tongue twisters. The one that I used to like the most, it was like, Marinero que se fue a la mar y mar y mar para ver que podía ver y ver y ver y lo único que pudo ver y ver y ver fue el En inglés, sailor who went out to sea to see what he could see and the only thing he could see was the bottom of the sea. It makes more sense in Spanish. This doesn't even make sense in Hungarian. Suddenly, everyone was motivated. They were stopping me after rehearsals outside the building to sing me songs and recite more tongue twisters. Attila is 18. He comes to rehearsals with red hair one week and green hair the next week. It means bearded jackal. If he chooses, he just stands. And even though this poem is short, his beard is made out of spinach. They were just so relieved that I wasn't making them speak English. When I talk in English, I have to use so much energy of me. A practicing Muslim, Nargis is the most traditional of the group and the most outspoken. In your language, you can say like anything because it's in your tongue. So you don't have to think. But when you use English words, you have to think and talk. So it's like two kind of energy using and also when I go home and talk in my language my teeth and my mouth my tongue everything gets so relaxed it's the same way I have talked to my friends they feel the same way their mouths get so tired when they speak English so I put the scripts aside along with my need to teach them and start out on a mission to get them to teach me as many games as they can remember did anybody play these games when you were a little kid? Yeah, yeah. we did. Yeah. What do you call numbers, those? Numbers. numbers. All right, numbers is like, it's a game that you play, and it's a counting game. You start from one, and you go to the highest number you can. Some of us can't go to, like, 30. We probably end up at 10. There's one, two, three, four. four. It's a game where when the Afghani teenagers get together, the girls, and mostly they play in hockey. So you're punching the person in the stomach? No, not punching. No. Just the like finger, this. right? Put inside the stomach. My name is Attila. I'm from Budapest, I came to New York two years ago in 2003. I already spoke English. In Hungary, and for a half hour a week, I spoke to my dad in English, and now that I'm here, I speak to my mom a half hour in Hungarian once a week. Attila was really good at the tongue twisters. He had had a lot of practice playing theater games when he was a kid in Hungary. For example, you're a store salesman and you're selling body parts and someone goes in the store looking for a left toenail and the conversation would have to be the tongue twister. And if I stopped in the middle of the tongue twister, the other person in the scene would have to continue from the place where I stopped. First time my mother put me on a plane by myself from Hungary to the U.S., I was six. And then um, this whole going back and forth for a bunch of years was going on. 
I'm constantly leaving. I'm constantly, you know, getting used to new people, getting used to new customs. And as a kid, you know, it's fun. But now it's like, okay, it's enough. All the game playing made it easier for the kids to share their stories of migration. Some families came by choice, but Nargis had no choice. I was two years old when I left Afghanistan, and on that time I was war there, so we left for Pakistan. And we were in Shower, Pakistan for 10 years. I moved here on September 2nd, 2001, without my mom. And after a week, the September 11 happened. It was really hard for us because my mom was in Pakistan. And after that, it was getting hard for the peoples to move here in the United States because they will think that they will do something wrong. Nargis tells me she wants to take six months off from high school to spend time with her ailing mother in Pakistan. Even though I don't have a green card, I want to take a risk. Because who knows if the law will allow me to come back or not. Mom. Mother John. Nargis writes a new poem and brings it to rehearsal. I spend another month with the kids staging and reworking all the scripts. On the night of the final show, my students perform pieces about longing, memory, friendships, the future, and home. Sometimes in their own languages, sometimes in English, using the games they taught me and each other. The rules of the kids' games don't change. Navigating the rules of their lives is another story. Speech is musical in any language. That was Tongues Twisting, produced by Judith Sloan as part of the 2005 Third Coast Festival Short Docs. You're listening to ReSound from the Third Coast Festival. I'm Gwen Maxi. Our next story is about a game most Americans have never even heard of, but one that has 30 million players in China and two television channels devoted to it. It's called Go. The game is played by placing black and white stones on a 19-inch board. Each player tries to win by surrounding unoccupied territory, as well as enemy stones. Only two women have ever made it to the highest level of competitive play, one of whom you're about to hear. Feng Yin is the Michael Jordan of Go. If she still lived in China, she'd be a full-time competitor. But here, she teaches Go to elementary school kids in New Jersey. We call this game hand talk. Each stone put on a board has some meaning, like I'm telling you something. I think what makes go beautiful is the communication. It's like you have a lot of things to say, but instead of say, it's just playing on board. And with the whole game, you don't need to say anything. 
and you shouldn't say anything. Basically, a goal is it's like a war. It's the same thing. Instead of real person,、uh, we use stones. In goal, stones is our soldier. Look, when you look at this situation, it's your turn. You are black, so you have to ask yourself, what should I do? Is my corner safe? Should I play outside or should I?、Play? My father、uh, died when I was eight years old. After one year, I start to play this game. When I was twelve, I left my mother. To move to another city and live with other teammates, we are like、uh, big families. You know, we spend all our time on go, except you know, sleeping, eating. We think a lot about this game. So this group dead. But my question is, in this case, do we still need the moves to capture all those stones, or we should leave it there? We're goal players. We grew up in this environment with other goal players, so we don't know much about the rest of the world. <laughs> Our life is very simple. Okay, Ethan has a question. Most of the time, I play the.、Um, I should say, a little more aggressive. <laughs> That's my personality. When I lost the game, it's like end of the world. You know, I don't want to eat and I can't sleep. I really feel like losing the whole world. I got a thirty-five. You got a twenty-seven. So it's a close game. I met、uh, my husband in a, in an English training course in Beijing. My husband found a job in the United States. And、uh, he bring the whole family here. After the first year, my husband got a leukemia. I don't really understand what is leukemia is. When I know, I feel I'm losing my husband. I decided、um, it's like a playing goal. Sometimes I behind, but what should I do? Should I give up and just resign the game? No, I can't. He was lucky; he got、uh, cured and、uh, sent home. And then I was start to worry: what is our future? And my husband can't work. How can we survive here? So, I decided、um, to have a go school. Jessica, is white alive? I thought, you know, this is this is the best move I can do right now. These are good, but we need to correct those. See the circle ones? It's not the correct answer. That's why I ask you to put your question on the board.、So、you know, the whole life changed. Uh, if I were in China, I'll be still a professional goal player. Even though I'm still a professional goal player, but I don't have really、uh, 
I don't really have uh, you know professional games to play. Mostly, I just buy teaching. Rudy, you want to take a turn first? No. <laughs> How about Daniel? I still communicate with my students because they are telling me something, but it's just different. It's tricky, right? There are other tricky ones. See here, that's the problem. Look, the two stones you can capture. Which one you should? Let's let's sit up on the board. You want me for goal? The most important part is balance. And uh, last ten years, I'm trying to play more balance because you know something changed inside. This is not you can learn from the board. There's a Chinese proverb says, "Shi shi ru qi." That means the things happen on the world. It's like happen on the go board. I think、uh, I understand everything from go. The Ambassador of Go was produced by Blake Eskin. Eskin has written extensively about games for a wide variety of national magazines and newspapers. Now, Go takes a lifetime to master, and a professional game can take over nine hours to play. Blake hopes to get good enough to eventually study with Feng Yin, but he has a lot of catching up to do. In the story you just heard, the student Feng Yin was beating, 35 to 28, was a seven-year-old girl. Here's a game we play every week after the show. It's called Check the Email, and trust me, it is only fun when you play along. So send us something. Our address is resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Any producer who's been around the block knows that the story you think you're going to get. Is rarely the piece you end up with. When Melissa Allison started this story, she interviewed a drug dealer, a cop, a stripper, a lawyer, and a four-year-old to try and get at the universality of the games they all play, whether it be to avoid the cop, catch the drug dealer, or vie for a cookie at bedtime. But in the process, one individual story came to the fore, trumping the others, and the documentary wasn't the fun sound montage she envisioned. This is the rules will be different. Of the many kinds of games that human beings play, we must clearly distinguish between two. A finite game is played for the sake of winning. An infinite game for the sake of continuing the play.、Uh, my name is Todd Elmer, and I'm 34. And I recently moved from Washington D.C., where I spent the last eight years getting mixed up in politics, fighting the good fight.、Um, my mother, she told me that she always had a sense that I was either going to be a preacher or a lawyer, and I think by politics I kind of became both. The world is elaborately marked by boundaries of contest, and its people finely classified as to their eligibilities. I grew up、um, in a very conservative, fundamentalist, Republican environment, and towed the party line because that was what I was supposed to do,、um, as most a lot of kids, a lot of people do.、Um, went to college, went to law school, made good grades, top of the class.、Um, came out of law school, got a great job in Washington D.C.,、uh, 
uh, working on the Gore campaign. A, a really good job, actually, working at the headquarters. And I loved it, and it was working every day for something you truly believed in. It was, it was fulfilling, and yet it was also something that was very well respected. And even if my family didn't understand it, um, in the sense of how could you work for someone who, you know, wants to kill unborn babies, and how could you work for someone who supports the rights of homosexuals, and even though they knew I was gay. They still had to respect it in a way. He was still the vice president. This was still the man who many people believed was going to be the next president. No one can be forced to play. It is an invariable principle of all games that whoever plays, plays freely. And what's more, no one can play alone. Election Day 2000, uh, November 7th, late afternoon, um, was standing in the rain on the Bain Plaza when all hell broke loose and um, Florida was given to us and we were celebrating and knowing I was virtually guaranteed a spot in the White House, um, thinking, I can't believe it, I'm, I'm, I've won. You know, I, I've worked, you know, for what I believe in and I've given it my all and and what do you know, it's actually paid off or it's going to pay off. Can, I can't believe it, I can't believe it. The rules will be different for each game. It is, in fact, by knowing what the rules are that we know what the game is. This recount is mandated by Florida law whenever a final ballot puts the margin of victory at less than one-half of one percent. But there are no rules that can require us to obey rules. Uh, why the discrepancies? Why is it we're hearing 61 counties are actually in and we're hearing those numbers and numbers that much closer? I think the recount was really politics cut to its bone, laid bare. It was uncharted territory. There weren't a lot of rules, and anything anything went. Bending, twisting, poking, and purposefully manipulating ballots in a manner that compromised their integrity. 73, We were arguing about 140-some ballots in my county, but as we all know, that that's a pretty big number in, in that election. And lots of dirty, underhanded tricks, lots of blatant, raw-knuckle brawling, practically, went on. The crowd was heckling. There were lots of audible groans. Um, and at one point, I remember I had said something, and this big burly man that I had kind of noticed, who was sitting in the very front row, which seemed a little strange, jumped up and shoved his hand out in my face, literally a few inches from my face, and screamed at me, why are you trying to deny the good men and women in our military their right to vote? And that just hung in the air. And again, we were in a court of law where you think there are rules. There were no, I mean, this was, this was politics laid bare. This was when at any cost, do what you have to do. Bring a big burly guy, put him in the front row next to the lawyers, and have him scream at the Democratic lawyer and, and, and razzle me and, and un, unnerve me, which he did. <laughs> and all that mattered, they knew, was whoever got more votes, whoever could say they, you know, could prove they got more votes. And, you know, at the end of the day, they were proved right because the ends had justified the means. So. A finite game can come to a successful end only when all of the players agree on a winner. Losing that election um, for me was losing, in a way, my last shred of, of hope at winning my own personal game, which was leading a, a life, a successful life that was 
full of self-respect and it was full of respect by my family and my well really my family I think is what it boils down to because I always was an outsider in my family no other condition than the agreement of the players is absolutely required in determining who has won the game God save the United States and this honorable court I was devastated by the results um, you can't work you know, so completely and so hard for a cause without truly, truly believing in it. You know, where do I find my self-worth? Is it in my career or what? Um, I'd, I was deeply depressed. I'd found all the cliches. I'd been, you know, the high-powered DC lawyer and now I was the high-powered, volume-addicted, washed-out, political has-been. And I was 29 and everything was gone. And I felt like I had failed in so many, so many ways. And found myself in the front seat of my practically new Mercedes with um, a freshly bought garden hose um, taped to my exhaust pipe and piped into my uh, passenger side window, waiting for it all to end. And I was um, discovered by a family hiking through the, the woods where I had parked my car. And the next year, year and a half, was spent with me trying to sort of figure out how I had gotten to that point. Why was I so willing to end my own game? Because of the principle, whoever plays, plays freely. Each player in the course of the game must intentionally forget the inherently voluntary nature of their play. If, even for a moment, they know they are free to leave the game all competitive effort will desert them. It's scary to admit to yourself that you were really questioning all the rules you've been playing by, that you don't believe in those rules. Because then the next obvious question is, what are the new rules? And um, it requires a leap of faith to say, you know, I don't know, but I, I want to find them. And... I want to go down a new path, and I want to play a new game. I don't even know if that's the right way to put it, but I don't want to play this game anymore. The Rules Will Be Different was produced by Melissa Allison. And appropriately enough, the music she used in the story was by a group called The Game Show Soldiers. You're listening to ReSound. Our last short doc of 2005 is called There Was a Whole Lot of Hundreds. It was produced by Michael Cavanaugh, who's done most of his work covering international news. But for this project, he wanted to tackle what has got to be one of the world's oldest games, cheating. Hello? Hey, this is Michael Cavanaugh, the public radio reporter. Oh, hi. So here's the deal. I'm talking to students and teachers and collecting their favorite stories about cheating. Uh-huh. And I hear you have a story. Yeah, I have a story. Okay, one that I'm most proud of. Um, I'll give you two that I'm most proud of. <laughs> Do you actually see in your classes people cheating? Yeah, of course. I don't know. It's just, like, so easy. Well, there was standard things like little sheets, like little crib notes. <laughs> people write answers everywhere. People paying each other to finish off 
their essays. I've seen people like text message each other answers during classes. Taking tests out of the location. I used to take my calculator and I used to write all my notes in that and just open it up during a test. Or people borrowing each other's homework, which no one really considered cheating because it was you scratch my back, I scratch yours. I mean, it happens everywhere. <laughs> I didn't know one person who didn't cheat at LaGuardia. I'm Don McCabe, uh, and I've been researching for about the last 15 years issues of student integrity with regard to their academic work. You know, there, there are a significant number of students who don't cheat at all, and then there are some students who cheat when they feel the necessity. Then you have a group of students that I would consider your more hardcore cheaters that are cheating any chance they get. Uh, it's almost a game with them to see what they can get away with in some cases. We had uh, a couple of kids who were suspected of handing in very similar papers. And when we confronted the kids about it, their first phase was, we don't know anything about it. You know, it's remarkable to us that they would turn out to be the same. <laughs> and then when I sort of showed them, I said, well, you know, we're not talking about similar. We're talking about word for word the same. And so they then backed up and said, well, you have to understand, Mr. McCartney, we're really, really, really good friends. And what really must have happened here was that our minds really became one mind. <laughs> so I'm having trouble keeping a straight face. There's definitely some that are gaming this system uh, and gaming certain teachers. Me, myself, and my friends were once involved in a situation where we decided that we were going to chip in and somebody was going to use a sidekick. A sidekick is one of these new phones that has the internet. And especially during the winter, whenever it has these big jackets on, it's real hard to see it. There are some students who prepare to cheat. They have codes or, you know, they purposely sit together and they've worked out a system that they're going to use. So I remember us sitting in the classroom and, yeah, you, you got the sidekick, right? Like, yeah, yeah, you don't just cover me. But then, like, every two seconds, you'll hear a kid say, Mister, I, I can't read this. And just ask like the dumbest things, or like, oh, this is real blurry, I can't see it, or can I go to the bathroom? And then how would people find out what the answers were? The person with the sidekick, he would tell the person to the right of him the answer and the person to the left. And then from there, it would just work it, its way up towards the front of the room. So how did you guys do on the test? Oh, we did really, really good. I remember the lowest score was like an 86. There was a lot of hundreds, a lot of hundreds. A lot of that, I think, is the thrill of getting away with it as much as it is doing well on the test. And when you all got your papers back, did you all like, kind of get together and congratulate yeah. each other? Yeah, we were like, oh, yeah, look, I got a 98. And she's like, oh, I got an 89. It worked. It really worked. And the teacher had no clue what was going on. Students look around and see all this cheating on the part of, you know, clergy, business people, politicians, you name it looking over somebody's shoulder in a test or exam, and they say, you know, what's the big deal? It's so normal that kids are like, hey, that kid's cheating, oh well. Damn, I should have sat next to that kid. Some students are just lazy. Uh, they don't care about school. Some students are so concerned about doing well uh, because of pressures their parents put on them or just the college admissions process in general puts on them. Uh, they're compelled to cheat. Like sometimes if there's a, like a big work overload and like I have a pop test out of nowhere or something like that, appropriate measures needed to be taken in order to get the appropriate grade. The stigma for failure is greater than the stigma for cheating. And so they would rather take their chances on cheating.
I teach in Boston, you know, a large um, urban high school. And when I started, it was probably the lowest performing high school in Boston. And what really struck me was my alarm at the absolute lack of cheating. Because it has become for me sort of an indicator of a student's level of interest in school, motivation in school, and even an indicator of their likelihood of dropping out or not. Are you actually saying that you wish your students cheated more? I do feel like it would be a sign to me that my students cared. They say, you know, that uh, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there. It's the person who can get ahead. doesn't matter how you do it. And so these skills that I'm acquiring and being able to manage all this information and figure out how to take shortcuts and, you know, get more work done in a shorter period of time are skills that would serve me very well when I got out in the real world. So do you, how do you feel about that now? I mean, sometimes I say to myself, you know what, maybe I should have stood up that night just a little bit later and studied. But I look back and when I think about it, I just laugh. There was a whole lot of hundreds produced by Michael Cavanaugh. Michael decided to interview the cheaters exclusively over the phone to allow them to keep their anonymity and confess freely. But it turns out that using the phone was more appropriate than he knew because the phone, particularly cell phones that can take pictures, have become major tools in classroom cheating. Those were the 2005 short doc stories about games. If you want to hear the other short docs people have done over the years, visit thirdcoastfestival.org. But we are not done playing yet. We have another couple of gamey stories, the first by producers Matt Power and Emily Botine, who found one hell of a way to get rid of a pumpkin. Pumpkin check-in! Rise and shine, everybody! We're here to have a good time and be safe out here! That's right, pumpkin chunkin'. For the last 17 years, in the middle of nowhere, southern Delaware, people have come from all over the country to launch pumpkins as far as they can across a giant empty field. They use all manner of devices, and the tensions are high. Competition is pretty fierce. You ain't got the world record yet, because I ain't shot. So here's what this is all about. This huge empty field in the middle of nowhere. It's a stubble field. All the corn has been cut down, probably a mile square. One side of it is filled with row after row of the most extraordinary devices you've ever seen in your life. Huge cannons. They also use catapults built in the style of the ancient Romans. Some of these cannons, you have to understand, have a 150-foot barrel. They're mounted on the back of a Mack truck. Terrifying the noise you jump straight up in the air when you hear it. They look like giant metallic insects crawling across the landscape. It's as though a, a group of juvenile dinosaurs have left their toy chests scattered across a farm field. And it's all to shoot this pumpkin the size of a soccer ball. It is kind of like putting a spitball in a straw and going. Except in this case, the spitball goes how far? Well, the uh, record is last year was 4,000 feet. They've only gone about 3,600 this year, 3,700. The whole event attracts an incredible cross-section of the population. On, on the one hand, you have these Renaissance Fair reenactor types who come fully decked out and insist on building their catapults to 
2,000-year-old specifications. Oh, this is my uh, medieval garb. It goes with the medieval catapult. My uh, chainmail and helmet. Got my sword here. And you got a shield in case I need it. <laughs> and on the other end, you have NRA lifetime members who have a 150-foot cannon. And it's completely painted in camouflage colors called the Second Amendment. You would think the week after Halloween there would be a lot of leftover jack-o'-lantern pumpkins to use. In fact, it's become so specialized, and the amount of force that's being put on these pumpkins is so great that they don't even use orange pumpkins anymore. They'll fall to pieces. They get atomized as soon as they come out of the barrel of the gun. So they have a special white pumpkin that they grow just for this. A lot of people never seen a white pumpkin, but they got to come to Delaware. That's, we grow them just specially for pumpkin chunking because the more solid it is, the better it flies, the more G's you can put on it. And at the end of that 40-foot arm, we're putting about five G's on the pumpkin. So that's five times the, the force of gravity. That's comparable to like a jet fighter taking off. Or uh, actually, it's about equal to a jet fighter doing a roll. So. Now, I don't know that much about jet fighters or G-forces or anything, but under the circumstances, you can't help but get caught up in the mood of the event. And There's a sort of a, a backyard Dadaism going on where all this creative energy is being put towards this completely absurd end. There is absolutely no application for this other than the building of it and chucking pumpkins. It's like creation devoid of utility. Yeah. I mean, it has no practical utility, but... It's for its like, own sake. Like most art. You know, you look at painting. It is art. This is absolute art. It's, it's for its own you know, sake. And their imaginations are limited only by their wallets. Say I was Bill Gates, I would have the technology and the money to build what I really wanted to build, which would be basically a railgun. I mean, the, the military's had railguns for years. So they were thinking of using them for launching satellites without rocket technology. So you could put a pumpkin into orbit? Well, I don't know about that. It brings up another problem. What would happen to a pumpkin if it broke the speed of sound? Would the structural integrity of the pumpkin hold up to that? It's an imprecise uh, science, that's for sure, you know. It is a dangerous sport. I've watched the pumpkin get mislaunched and go straight up in the air 200 yards stay there for an instant and come plummeting back to earth and it landed about 10 feet away from where the catapult was and where a whole crowd of people were standing. Another one sliced off like a bad golf shot off into the middle of the parking lot. No one's ever been hurt, not to say that you couldn't. In fact, if you got hit with one of these pumpkins, it would kill you. Let me give you an idea just how long these pumpkins are airborne. So there it goes, and it's going up, 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 hits the peak of its arc, heads back down, down, right into the pond about a thousand feet away. Sometimes things don't go as planned. When the pumpkin disintegrates within the barrel, they call that pumpkin pie. Pie! Hi, come on in. There's something so infectious about pumpkin chunking that within a matter of minutes, I had crossed over the line and was one of them. I was ready to give advice to anyone, regardless of whether they wanted it. You know what you should do? Just Tell me. Not that you don't know. But I was thinking... That. And of course I didn't know what he should do. This guy had spent the last year every afternoon working on his catapult. He humored me, though. But after 10 hours in the pumpkin chunk pits, there's no sight in the world 
like a pumpkin being shot through the air at 600 miles an hour, soaring over this, this pastoral landscape. It might seem kind of loopy, but by the end of the day, I was completely transformed. There's something life-affirming about this, all these weapons of mass destruction used for hurling gourds. The sun went down and everyone packed up and headed home. It was kind of hard to pull myself away. But the next morning, I got up and started building my own catapult. Flying Pumpkins was produced by Matt Power and Emily Botin for The Next Big Thing. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to ReSound. Whoever said, it doesn't matter whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game, couldn't have lost all that often. When our next story was reported back in 2005, the River Valley High Mustangs in southwest Michigan, near the town of Three Oaks, had lost 18 football games in a row. But it wasn't just the number of consecutive games lost, it was how soundly they were beaten. In the two seasons leading up to this story, River Valley was outscored 949 to 38, or an average of 53 to 2. Producers Dan Collison and Elizabeth Meister attended the Mustangs' last game of the 2005 season to see how the team and their fans were holding up. Their story is called Friday Night Bites. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the final game of the 2005 season here at River Valley High School. Heavenly Father. We thank you for our opportunity tonight to come here and play the game of football. My name is Dave Laylock. I am the head football coach at River Valley High School in Three Oaks, Michigan. And this is our ninth last game of the season against Cassopolis. We pray, dear Lord, that there are no injuries and that we are allowed to play to our full potential the entire 48 minutes. River Valley hasn't won a game since 2003, I believe. It stops now. The whole River Valley mystique stops now. We take our step forward now. My number one goal would be, obviously, to score. We haven't scored since the third week of the season. Get your hands up here, boys. Guys, forget the score tonight. They get hit. I love it, I love it. All you got on three. One, two, three, all you got. Let's go, boys, let's go. Let's go, boys. Make us proud. Seniors up front, lead us out. Here they come, ladies and gentlemen, your 2005 my name is John Jackson. I'm a sophomore at River Valley, and I am the quarterback for the Mustangs. In the beginnings of the games, we'll just get each other so psyched up about the game that we just think we're unstoppable. One, two, three, Mustangs! 
That's one of the best feelings I've ever had, actually. You just think that you're on top of the world. Hey, nice return here. Let's go. Get pissed. Williams kickoff fielded by Boersma. Looks like a fumble on the play. Cassopolis ball. Then you go out there. One thing bad happens, and we're so used to bad things happening to us that we all just put our heads down and just turn away and just almost give up. River Valley fumbles the kickoff. Typical the way the years been rolling. Here's the ball carrier in for the Cassopolis touchdown. My name's Doug Kill. My son Tom's a sophomore. He sustained a shoulder injury, which he had to have surgery for, so hopefully he'll be back next year to play. Cassopolis 8, River Valley yet to have possession of the ball. That's pretty typical of what they've been doing on us all year is running to the outside. They know our weaknesses. We're very slow. That's our biggest weakness. And every now and then we've run across teams that are very fast. There goes the end around again for another 60-yard touchdown. Harris, the ball carrier, in for the Ranger touchdown. We got mostly freshmen and sophomores with a handful of juniors. We only have three seniors. Brings our score to Cathopolis, 22, River Valley yet to score. The fact that I'm the fourth head coach in four years makes it tough because kids don't keep coming out because they don't know who's going to be here. My name is Wayne Warner. I'm the assistant principal and athletic director for River Valley School District. Part of the reason might be that our enrollment here has been dropping, primarily because of economic conditions. I'm Kelly Borisma. My son Dallas is a junior. He's number 81. This area, when I was a kid, there were, I can't even count how many huge manufacturing plants, Gast, Weldon, Alice Chalmers, and everybody's dad worked at a factory, and that's gone. You know, the jobs just aren't here, and people aren't going to come here and bring their family here. Also, the older kids, I guess, after getting beat up a couple of years, have chose not to come out. Well, they scored again. Rangers in for the touchdown. Well, I think part of the reason is people see what happens on Friday nights. This is our score, 30 nothing. They don't want to be a part of that, but they're kind of scared about going out. And we do have some players that used to play football or are now playing soccer. I think there's a lot of moms that don't want to see their sons hurt. And so they get them in soccer because they think they're going to get hurt less in soccer. That hurts right there. Yeah. Ah, ah. My name is Rick Snyder, and I have a son, Dan, who's a freshman, who broke his hand in practice, so he's sitting on the sidelines. I got a bad feeling about your wrist. <laughs> My name is Julie Legault, and I'm the certified athletic trainer. Which is worse, that or that? That. We had two big knee injuries, and then we've lost one or two kids each week, and when you don't have many kids to start out with, that's a lot. It's kind of anguishing to watch your kids take a beating week after week after week. My brother, Andrew Beck, was injured last week, as well as my nephew, and that's what led to the forfeit at halftime. I think the score was 46 to nothing at halftime, and uh, we had key players injured, and we had a couple other students with illness, and then on top of that, we would have to play freshmen who hadn't had hardly any playing time, and uh, we just felt for the safety of the kids that we should halt the game. I'm Dallas Borsma, and I play linebacker and running back. Oh, that was horrible. I couldn't believe we did that. I've never been anything like that in my life. I would have much rather went out and played that second half and lost that game 180-0, to zero, just so you know that we came out there and gave it our all and never gave up. Sat there for a while, looked over the field, then went home and thought it over some more, went to bed. He got home, and I thought, geez, he's taking forever in the shower. And I went upstairs, and he's just bawling his eyes out in that shower because he's never experienced a forfeit in his entire life. It's very tough on these boys. They, they don't know how to lose, and yet that's all they're doing. Harris around the left side, in for the Ranger touchdown. 36 seconds left in the first quarter. It's 36 to nothing. It's only the first quarter? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Coming up on two years in a row now, just getting my butt kicked in football is just getting kind of old for a lot of the younger guys. 
including myself, we get low self-esteem, and if things go wrong like that, we're not used to being able to just popping back up from it, so we kind of let that get to our heads. Brings your score to Cassopolis, 46, River Valley yet to score. You know, even their fellow classmates, many of them don't come to the ball game, so you're out there by yourself, you know, in many cases. I wouldn't want to come out either to see my school lose like that, but at the same time, you got to think about how we feel, and we're not just going out there to get our butts kicked. You know, we want to play the best that we can, and that's what we're trying to do. 36 seconds left to go in the half. Cassopolis, 68, River Valley yet to score. Please stick around for the halftime show with the Riverdale High School Marching Band. All right, everyone sit down and shut up. 68 points by halftime. All-time low. Congratulations. I was tough on him, and a lot of it's emotion, but a lot of it is just I care about him. And one thing I never am going to do as a coach is go through the motions. And I tell him it's not that I don't love him, but that's why I'm on him so hard. I am sick of getting my butt kicked. Coach, talk to him for a minute. Well, fellas, the bad news is uh, the team that warmed up tonight <coughs> didn't show up at game time. The good news is we'll be out of here in about half an hour, and we'll have a nice ass-kicking to spend thinking about for the next nine months. Again! Last Friday night, you were in here crying. Right now, it looks like I ran over your cat. Or your dog, for those of you who like dogs. Looks like I ran it over with my car. Gentlemen, get your heads up right now. Everyone look me in the eye. We've told him from week one, don't feel sorry for yourself because no one's going to feel sorry for you. How do you want to be remembered? Now, let's get our heads up, get your helmets on. Let's go. Let's go. I don't care what happens between now and the end as long as you give your all, which is all I've asked all night. After he started yelling at us, came to put our heads together and just decided that if we were given 100%, then we needed to start giving 200% because what we were given just wasn't enough. Bring it in. Get your hands up. Let's go. One, two, three. Oh, you got it. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Mustang set the kick. I don't know yet that they've learned anything except maybe to endure. At some point, hopefully, they will start as they grow. They'll start to gain confidence in themselves and learn that going through and persevering, they'll come out successful on the other end. There you go, Dallas! Nice play! I'm very proud of Dallas and all these boys. Um, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if I could come back to practice, do all the bear crawls and the you know, push-ups and all the things they make you do, knowing that I'm going to get back out there and it's probably not going to go my way. Because I have waited for him to be frustrated to the point where he's like, you know, it's just not worth it, you know, a teenager, this is stupid, this is dumb. And he never says that, you know. He's always trying to think of a way to make it work and trying to think of a way to get across the goal line. Oh, yeah, a lot of people talk to me about how if you're getting beat that bad, how would you keep going out there every week? But it's just to play the game. It's a great game. Heart on three. Heart on three. One, two, three, heart! Let's go, boys. The team did play with a lot more heart in the second half. Nice job, D! And held Kasopoulos to just two touchdowns. Take it away, Hey, we had an interception. Bingo, bingo! Mustangs got their first interception in almost three years. We want to I just want a first down. <laughs> we got our next two plays. Let's get a freaking first down. Let's go. All you got on three. One, two, three. All you got. Let's go, Mustang. And with the clock winding down, the offense finally came to life. 
Boss's pass complete to Zeiger for a Mustang first down. You can't cheer for scores, you got to cheer for first downs. Let's go, Mustang! Minute 34, about as deep in their territory as we've been all day. People started getting their heads back up and realized that it was coming down to the end of the season and wanted to do something about it, so we just put in our statement. Rocky blocked to the right, Martin blocked to the left. Ricky, get a step on the guy. Mitch, one step, throw it up. Let Ricky make a play on it. Going on two, we're going to throw the fade, score a touchdown. Here we go. With 38 seconds left to go in the game and the season, the Mustangs finally scored. We got our touchdown. That's the ball game, ladies and gentlemen. They got beat pretty bad. Your final score, Casopolis 80, River Valley 6. But for the first time all season, I see them. They're walking back with their heads up. They had a sense of accomplishment, and that's something to build on. If we remember what we went through and how we felt after each and every one of those games, losing by 50, 60 points to zero, then I think when we get a little older and start winning a couple games and ourselves, then we can show them that we're back and it's our time now. And as always, please have a safe drive home. And once again, thank you for supporting high school athletics. Friday Night Bites was produced by Dan Collison and Elizabeth Meister for Long Haul Productions. And lastly today on ReSound, an essay I wrote that was born out of a conundrum that I had been mulling over for years. But I could never figure out how to get it out of my head and onto the radio. At least, not until I found out that the father of a fellow producer, Cindy Carpian, was exactly the man I was looking for. This essay is called, If I Were a Tall Man. I've known a lot of short Jewish men in my lifetime, sort of unavoidable when you're a short Jewish woman, or any Jewish woman for that matter, and you can't be around a lot of short Jewish men without noticing that they're all preoccupied, consumed, obsessed by one thing. And it ain't the Talmud. They're playing basketball. Uh, all around the we world. Basketball, a game played by virtual giants. Not baseball, not football, not soccer, not curling. Basketball, basketball, where the average player is six feet seven and two tenths inches, where limbs are long, hands are the size of palm fronds. And I think it's safe to say that the vast majority of players never had a bar mitzvah. Short Jewish men want to be Kareem, Magic, Michael, elbows flying, gym shoes squeaking, nothing but net. In short, and they are, they want hang time. Why, I always wondered, what is it about basketball, a game dominated by towering men, that obsesses men so low to the ground? I mean, it's not like there's any chance in hell they'll ever set their foot, size 7 foot, onto the floor of, say, Madison Square Garden. Then I found out, Yes, then, while being forced by my husband to watch a documentary on the history of basketball, it all became clear. And all I can say is, who knew? They were all short Jewish guys. The Jewish ball players commanded the game. We beat all the other teams. Meet Jack Carpian. He's 86. In his heyday, he was... Five, six and a half. 
Well, I might have been about five seven, five seven and a half. Jack played for City College of New York in the 30s, before the formation of the NBA. This was the precursor to the NBA, a network of neighborhood and school teams on the East Coast where, guess what, the game was dominated by short Jewish guys. But rest assured, this was no Pony League. And we used to play at the Williamsburg Y. And we just played other teams. Red Auerbach, Butch Schwartz, Pickles Banks. These all became... Ball players. Red Auerbach, one of the winningest coaches in the history of basketball, grew up on the same block and played ball with Jack Carpian. We had to be much bigger to play football. We weren't big enough for football. Basketball was a, was a smart game of moving the ball and knowing how to handle it. And that's what we excelled in. And uh, we were one of the top teams in the country, CCNY. I played in Madison Square Garden with for CCNY. We packed them in very nicely. The first players on the New York Knicks: Ralph Kaplowitz, Sonny Hertzberg, Matt Militzak. The first basket made in the NBA swished by none other than Ozzie Schechtman. Oh, sure, there were no jump shots, no double pump, no 24-second clock. But hey, these players weren't fresh out of training camp. They were fresh out of Grossinger's. So there you have it. The reason, the genesis, the explanation of it all. Somewhere in our not-so-distant past, short Jewish guys were the Larry Birds of their day. And though they might not even know why, somewhere in their deepest familial memory banks, hidden in the dark recesses of their DNA, they feel a pull. A gravitational force that they cannot fight, commanding them to the court. At Jewish community centers all over the country, middle-aged, short, Jewish, baby-booming guys are spraining joints and pulling muscles, risking life and short limb in a quest like salmon to the spawning ground to go back to their roots. So watch out, Yao Ming. Markovitz is right behind you. If I Were a Tall Man, an essay I wrote for Weekend America in 2005. The Game. Yeah, yeah, pass the ball, final casting call. First of all, verbal basketball. Off the glass, smash your jaw. Too fast for y'all. You might take a nasty ball trying to stick with the biggest If you like the kind of work you hear each week on Resound, you are going to love the Third Coast Filmless Festival, a day-long celebration of sound, story, and the art of listening. It's coming up on Saturday, October 23rd at the Joffrey Ballet Rehearsal Space, and you are invited. The day will be filled with audio screenings of unforgettable documentaries, plus special appearances by Jad Abumrad, host of Radiolab, and Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. The day culminates with our annual award ceremony honoring some of the most innovative producers working in radio today. Emceed this year by Peter Sagal, host of Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. It's going to be an amazing day and a fabulous evening. Passes to the Vilmos Fest are on sale now. Just visit our website, thirdcoastfestival.org, for more information. We hope we'll see you there. Yo, rep, where's the tech man? Make the call. The game is getting tight. Verbal victories in sight. What counts is what you write. Not concerned about the hype. My rhymes go baseline, so why are you trying to take... ReSound is a production of the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi.
The program is produced by Katie Mingle and curated by Johanna Zorn and Julie Shapiro of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear hundreds of outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. The Third Coast Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Boeing Company Charitable Trust, the Agadino Foundation, Chicago's Navy Pier, and American Airlines. This program is partially supported by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council, a state agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival was founded in 2000 by WBEZ Chicago. We are also supported by the Joffrey Ballet, presenting its world premiere production of Don Quixote at the Auditorium Theater October 12th through the 23rd. Tickets by phone at 800-982-2787 or online at joffrey.org. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.